This is the Leadership and Insurance Podcast, brought to you by FinPro Search Partners. Insurance companies are businesses and they need to look for the long term and be sustainable. We went from zero to one and now it's going from one to a hundred. Insurance as, as a concept, as a kind of service, is brilliant. The execution is what we're looking at now. I think the companies that are going to succeed are the ones that are going to understand and master the art of intent. When we talk about innovation, we lean too heavily to think about technology and we don't think about creating a culture of innovation. I think innovation is essentially continuous improvement of existing processes and platforms and product, right? It's got to be easy. It's got to be seamless. Good morning and welcome to the Leadership Insurance Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Bond. Uh, I'm very privileged today to have my good friend, Elab, who's CEO of Plank. How are you, sir? You well? Thank you, Alex. Yes, I am very well. Yeah. And it's a pleasure being here. Yeah, thank you. And um, I'm, I'm going to start again with my informal competition of best background. And um, I'm quite jealous of your office. So you're joining us in quite a it's quite a cool setup. I feel like I've, I've sort of, I'm not delivering on my side of the bargain with your home office. It is, it is. You know, post COVID, they decided they need some uh, men shed, uh, <laughs> home office. I spend most of my day at with my guitars, some some sofas with good speakers, good screens, good lightning, uh, and just yeah. build it in my uh, backyard. Nice, nice, nice. I'm very jealous. I'm very jealous. Well, this is probably the problem. I've only got one bedroom apartment, so it's quite difficult to have the room for the for the man cave. So, um, but look, before we go start driving massively off 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 track of where I'm supposed to be going, be really good. I'm sure people know Plank because it's a business that I've been really wanting to talk to you for a long time. So I'm really glad we have to do this. But it'd be great if you could introduce yourself and obviously the Plank business as well. Right. So a few words about myself. Uh, I'm an Israeli, uh, originally uh, spending my time these days all around the world, uh, mostly U.S. and Israel, uh, married with uh, three kids and a very nice dog. I've been uh, spending my years in AI and computer science and machine learning, uh, done two masters in that field, opened a startup, got acquired by Salesforce, uh, tend to be Salesforce Einstein, the first startup. And then left Salesforce to bridge the gap between AA and insurance. I always loved insurance. I knew I'm going to be building my next uh, company around that. That was already seven years ago. And uh, here we are today with uh, a very cool Gen AI data platform for commercial insurance. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love the... uh... Yeah, we don't get we don't get enough information on the families as well. I think that's important because you know we, we're talking about people starting businesses, and I, I don't think there's enough conversation about how challenging and difficult that is. And I think I think we're talking about we do say that we've been we've been really focusing on how difficult it's been the last couple of years because I think funding has been difficult. But before then, it was people presented doing a startup like it was just this. Oh, it's fine. You just go out. You raise money. Did you think that's true? I, I don't. I, I think the last. It's only in the last couple of years we've actually talked about the challenges. Whereas before we were sort of suggesting almost like it's an easy pathway. Um, are we having a more honest conversation about entrepreneurship now? Do you think? So you, you've mentioned a few aspects of it. Uh, some of them I don't see as contradicting. So it is extremely challenging. Always was extremely challenging. Yes, the part of fundraising was easier um, in uh, the end of uh, the last decade. 
but um, I think at the beginning of this decade, but I think that it was always challenging uh, to build something from scratch, to do the zero to one and then the one to 10 um, and the next phase of the growth was always challenging. I don't see it as contradicting to the fun or the views. So it is fun. I love that. I don't know whether I'm, yeah. I have some, uh, I, I love feeling some pain because it is painful <laughs> at times, but I love it. I love the creation of stuff. I love to speak with the market. I love to understand the market. I love to solve problems for the market. And you do need a very supportive family for that because uh, it's a lot of uh, uh, a lot of time, a lot of energy that you devote there. It's very important if you know how to balance between uh, work and life, uh, between entrepreneurship and life. Definitely not easy. Um, and one of we spoke about COVID and building uh, this uh, home office uh, to take Zoom calls uh, from home. Um, there is one aspect to that that people forget. Once you leave your office, let's say in the city, going back home, you have that commute time to detach from anything you had in mind related to work and free up your mind to be devoted just for your family. And when you work from home most of the days of the week, it is difficult. So you need to build those habits that, that allowed you to, to put one thing, you know, shelf it, put it in some drawer and then go to in your inner brain and then go to be with your family and and don't bring your entrepreneurship challenges into your family life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a <laughs> just good advice. It's very hard to do, isn't it? That's the thing, I think. Uh, uh, yeah, it's quite interesting. So what's the, what's the setup now for the working, the working sector? Are you hybrid, hybrid remote or fully remote? Or, what, so, so all of our offices were um, um, all of the time. COVID and anything else that, that we've had always open. We've had mm-hmm. few employees that uh, were working and still are 100% uh, of the time in the office. Uh, mm-hmm. The policy today is that we require about two days, depending on the team and your, on your role. It can be two to three days in the office, in the in the company's office. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the time, you can choose whether to, to stay at home, work from home, or uh, work from the office. What dictates where it might be more? Is, is it... Are there specific teams that you think need more time in the office? Um, and, and why is it those specific teams that you've kind of focused on? So for all of the employees, you do need some alignment. When you're mm. launching a new product, new functionality, when when there is a challenge you need to solve, and we recently had it with Gen AI and the Plus product, which we'll probably discuss um, in a few minutes, you want to make sure that everyone is aligned. And the alignment part is very difficult doing from home. Even when you have employees which are, um, you know, right on the culture of the company, very engaged, uh, very enthusiastic about implementing uh, stuff, whether it's from R&D or product or customer success or sales or marketing or any other department in the company, it is very difficult to make sure everyone is aligned and and going to the same direction. So we found out that you need at least one day a week to make sure that we're aligned. We're not a big ship uh, like like Salesforce is or like uh, whatever Aviva or Chubb are as, as carriers, right? We, we are a startup, so we move fast, but we don't want to miss a week. I don't want to find out at the end of 
two weeks from now that I've lost a week because in the past week, people weren't aligned and worked on different uh, um, routes that weren't converging uh, to where we need them to be converging to. And so one day a week is, is the minimal amount that we saw. Then it really depends on whether people need to work together as a team do more collaborative work or whether it is more of individual contributors. So sometimes you have in the R&D, let's take it as an example, you have some teams that everyone knows what to do. They just need the quiet and then be in their zone. So they just need one more day besides the company day to align at the team level, but that's it. And you have other teams that are used to work together, that work on the same customers, on the same features, whatever, in, in a collaborative manner. And it's more efficient to do it uh, shoulder to shoulder in the same office. Yeah, I'm always fascinated to ask that because, you know, obviously, selfishly, we're a search firm, headhunting firm, so kind of people and culture is, is, is absolutely the core of what we're talking about. Well, we're getting a lot more people want people in the office now. Again, I think that culture's coming back. And then I think about it for my own setup. You know, it's my company. I'm an entrepreneur. We're growing our business. And I, I know certain things are just not possible with us not being in the same room. Um, and even when we are, sometimes we find out that we're all working towards something independently. Um, and we've lost time there because we could have done it together. So, yeah, it's fascinating. But I think you raised, a, you raised about plus there. And I, I think let's dive into the kind of like the core products as well, because I think sometimes a business like yours could be misunderstood from the outside. It's like, you know, is it a date point? Is it just a workbench? Is it, is it, is it, a, is it a risk workbench? Let define workbench, you know, <laughs> there's, there's so much there. So talk us through the kind of like core offerings from Blank and, and, you know, how this kind of plays into the insurance industry. Definitely. So we've built data platform, which is solely based on Gen AI. And we're providing commercial carriers all around the world, uh, currently live in the US, in the UK, in Germany, in Japan and Australia, um, provide data elements for their needs. At the end of the day, it all boils down to data. But data is not the end of it. You need to, fi to fix, to solve use case, very concrete use cases. And those use cases have one layer above the data layer. It all boils down to data. So you do need to be able to generate good data. So one part of the company is about generating high quality insurance insights. And we're doing it with an amazing platform that we've built. Basically, we're crawling the web, collecting all sorts of raw data, images, videos, audio files, maps, governmental databases, social reviews, website text, rating sites, anything that has the business in it, shows the business, mentioned the business. We're collecting, processing, and extracting everything that we can from that. So from a selfie that someone uh, took in a hospital, I can see how many beds in the ER department, whether there, there's surgeries or, or ER or opioids treatment or whatever, from the image itself, those items are extracted and then wired to another set of AI models to predict the underwriting insights. And we have many layers to add explainability and transparency and to, to help build the data. But the basic part of that first phase is creation of underwriting insights. And we do it unlike any other data vendor that's out there that comes with a predefined data dictionary. We are building predicting the insights that our customers need. So we're in constant discussion with the market, with our customers, with our prospects to 
to see what is currently not covered by our platform and train models to cover that. Then on top of that, we have the business logic. And most of the solutions we sell are those business logics. So we're a SaaS company, software as a service company. We're selling license to use our platform. You can use the API and integrate it wherever you want, but we do have our own platform. And these days we call it the PLUS platform. PLUS, P-L-U-S, uh, Plank LLM Underwriting Solutions, an entire stack which uh, it, at its core has an LLM capability that we've trained, large language model, to solve the different use cases within insurance. From manual underwriting on the intake to um, the triaging and making sure that you're only working on the proper businesses, premium leakage and out of appetite uh, businesses, all the way through renewals and all the way to completely redefining the underwriting models that you have. With some of our customers, we have filed completely new underwriting models based on all of those um, capabilities around the data side with our own scores uh, that dramatically drop the loss ratios on top of the full improvements in the expense. Mm. That last point, I think, is really interesting because it's one of the challenges of, you know, that's been uh, around, you know, you know I would, are you an insurtech veteran? I'm not sure how many years, but I think it probably makes you that, you know, but, you know, it's these big companies, as far as I know, decent level of funding. Um, um, so, you know, you're at one of the more advanced stages of, uh, of, of kind of development in your product and service and, and relationships, more importantly. But kind of getting that first sale in this sector is really difficult because you ultimately that's what people care about is how, are you improving our loss ratio? Are you improving our... Because most of it's about efficiency. So how do you tackle those challenges when you're trying to kind of just drive that first few relationships so i think i think that's something that people kind of always worry about how do you get to that point exactly and when you sell software or solutions you want to make sure that you're not requesting your customer to give too much of an investment before they see the first uh r from the mm -hmm. return on investment, the first return on that investment. You want to make sure that that graph of investment they do has a continuous return to it. So it's more of a linear graph than a step function. You don't want them to invest for a year of integration with you, of defining models with you, with you and just at the end of that year or two years to the future, they, just at that time, they see big return, but only then. You want to make sure that they do see return from the from the get-go. So we've built that solution. We have a very nice growth path with all of our customers where we're first giving them a platform that we've configured based on the average carrier in the market and they use it within hours. Uh, for manual underwriting, it is integrated seamlessly with the platform. We're doing the integration. They don't need their IT department. It's a super simple. Uh, deployment and they immediately start to use it for the manual underwriting, validating the agent's uh, submissions, validating the um, um, dirigibility criteria, making sure the data is proper. And only then we're going towards more automation and more uh, straight through processing. And only at the end of that route, we're going to redefine the underwriting models, which is definitely not easy. In order to do that, we need to get all of the claims data 
for the past few years to build the models based on the carrier's claims data. And it is a process with lots of investments in it. So we're doing it while we're bringing so much more return on that initial investment uh, from the first moment they uh, they start to work with us. Initially, you're right. It was very difficult to sell that. It was very mm -hmm. difficult to convince the first customers, the first carriers that worked with us to take some leap of faith and even on the very basic first step to believe that the AI prediction can be used to make business decisions. And uh, the first customers that we've had were all early adopters. We're all customers where their C-level said, we're willing to put some bet on AI and to allow generative AI to be involved in our decision-making process. And then I got to tell you, since OpenAI released their chat GPT about a year ago, we have stopped hearing any uh, complaint or any pushback from that area. Like people were immediately hooked and said, we understand. If IBM is going to be laying off 5,000 people, 8,000 people to be replaced by uh, a GPT-like uh, Gen AI model, we're ready as well to embrace that technology. And it moved from the early uh, adapters and adapters to the late adapters and leggers game. And now we see the entire market uh, opening their arms uh, and looking for us. Yeah, it's fascinating about that. But there was a cultural shift. But that's, that's the thing about anything AI related, anything machine learning related. It comes down to culture, doesn't it? It's it's like, well, I suppose this is broadly true of any technology, is that there's always that cultural moment. And it just felt like more than anything, and whether ChatGPT goes on to become the, I don't know, is around in 10 years' time or it gets surpassed and forgotten, it will always be the cultural moment for this type of technology where people kind of understood it on, on real terms, which I think is fascinating. Um, I'm fascinated. I want to just take it back a little step as well, because you were working, you know, you started a business at Salesforce, you're working in that Salesforce ecosystem. That is a totally different environment. So you're you're building a business that sort of fits into an ecosystem where you know the rules, you know the framework, because it's, it's a Salesforce, you know, ecosystem. They, they own the world that you're operating in. So you know it's going to plug in. You know the APIs are going to work. You, you, you know how that's... Now you've gone to insurance, <laughs> which is not neat. And it's everyone's essentially got different operating systems, different core systems. Some people are still on-prem when probably when you started out. I suppose I wanted to know why you went to that and, and potentially just a big challenge. Why did you end up insurance? But then were you ready for some of the challenges there? Um, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll leave it there because I could probably go so, on. But I, I think that's big so, so many challenges, so many challenges, yeah. especially when, you, when you're small, when you just started, the only way to integrate us and, and get the value out of Planck's platform was through an API. And right, so it, it comes together with being innovative and an and innovator in the insurance industry. We were able to work only with carriers who had some data lake, who had some advanced core uh, insurance platform, some policy admin system, which is advanced enough to be able to consume APIs. And, you know, nowadays, where well, we are mature enough, we have uh, integrated with mainframes and, you know, 40 years old and with... Um, um, 
homegrown uh, platforms and web-based platform and everything. Now, the, and it's quite easy to do because again, we've built all of that supportive technology to, to allow those integrations. But the beginning of the way, it was very difficult. Uh, we could only work with those that already had some data lake and some ability to consume APIs. The move from Salesforce into the insurance domain was almost trivial for me. I grew up in an insurance family. I grew up all around insurance and I knew I'll spend my time solving problems in that market. And I wasn't afraid of um, you know, big platforms, regulations. I saw that as an advantage because the pain point is much bigger. When your customers are struggling to adopt modern technologies, the value you can add on top of what you already have is tremendous if you know how to work with it. If it's not becoming some um, barrier for you to enter into the market. And yes, initially, it, uh, it makes the amount of customers you can work with much smaller because you have to be working with someone that can adopt your uh, technology and integrate your technology. But eventually, when you have enough time, you can build the tools to support very vast integration. So I wasn't afraid of uh, that market and of the people that uh, built Plank uh, from its inception were people that used to work with large uh, players, used to work with large technologies and integrate very advanced technology into old uh, stack. Salesforce is a great company. I won't say they're not. They're a great company. Uh, definitely recommend anyone who's looking to work for large enterprises. Salesforce is a great employer and a great company. So, so different from your own startup. Um, and personally, I enjoyed both. I enjoy a bit more uh, running my own startup, but I enjoyed uh, working for Salesforce as well. Yeah, it's fascinating. In our world, we... You know, we work with startups and scale-ups almost exclusively in, in what we do when we're trying to find that for people. And what fascinates me is that how, and I understand this, but but I also push back on it quite a lot, is that um, people will be biased against people that haven't worked in a startup scale-up. And they say, oh, they've only worked for Salesforce, it's massive, and it has all these things. And I often say that I worked for a massive corporate, and then I came from that into a startup, and I was successful. So... I think it's a it's a lazy metric, but because there's elements to both as well. You tend to you, you tend to learn some really, really good practices and behaviors working for big enterprise companies because they're big for a reason. They're really good at certain things. But it's just a kind of I think it's exactly we've said enjoyment and fun twice, you know, on this podcast. It's like if you're gonna find your fun in a startup, I think that's really what separates. Um, for me, I don't know if you'd agree, but I think you have to find this fun, or you should you go have to enjoy. You have to enjoy <laughs> what you do. You have to assemble uh, your amazing uh, winning team around you. Uh, the startup is not just you. Yes, the CEO, the founder has a crucial role in the success of a startup. Even bigger role you have to the executive teams that you you're able to assemble. Uh, around you. So you need to work with people that you like, with people that are uh, not necessarily like-minded, but you enjoy working with because you're going to be working a lot with them. You're going to spend a lot of time through very, very big challenges. So you need people that will be telling you the truth, not necessarily what you want to hear, and will be will have that grip 
and grit uh, um, yeah, throughout the uh, that roller coaster of, of a startup. Mm. Yeah, so I think someone said earlier here is you need people that are uh, collaborative challenges, I think they put it. So it's like, you know, everything, someone's got to put it in the same direction. You need people that are going to challenge that viewpoint. Interesting venues of Belgium and Melissa. It's fascinating. What's the, your customers? And, and you mentioned it, those early adopters, you know, they're part of the team, or they become part of the team. And I, I think about my business, you know, we've got some of the, you know, four years we've been purely in tech, and I'm working with some of the same companies, and they grow, we grow with them, but they feel like an extension of my business. Um, I think it's really good if we can get into some. I don't know if, if, are you able to share any sort of success stories or case studies that really kind of illustrate the, you know, the, the outcomes you would like people to have from like the bank solution? Because I think that that really shines a light on what we're really talking about here. Definitely, definitely. So when we've opened Plank, we wanted to solve one thing perfect to begin with. And we decided to focus on the loss ratios, not on the expense ratios. And that mm -hmm. means bringing high quality data to start with the accuracy of the data, with the precision, with the recall, make sure that we provide data on as many businesses as we can and way more accurate than what you have today and automatically. So it's, it's a lot of things to ask, but we didn't focus on the um, on saving time and, and efficiency of the process at the beginning. So the first use cases we've had were from uh, dropping the loss issues. But immediately following that, we've built all of the uh, solutions to um, optimize your process. So I'll give you two, two examples, one from, one from each. Um, one of our uh, very big customers, leaders in their market, one of the top 10 in the market, uh, we were able to build a new process with them for the renewal uh, process. Basically, they were randomly um, monitoring few of the policies they had without any specific rule to that and flag them prior to uh, a renewal, whether they want to renew it or not and whether to change uh, premiums or not. We've basically built, according to their guidance, uh, a process that goes over all of their policies, verify the exact exposure of each policy and the exact classification, and A, sees whether the policy is within appetite or not. And B, if it's within appetite, maybe you have some premium leakage. Maybe they're doing another um, um, operation which is not covered uh, with your basic uh, product that you need to um, um, charge more. That re um, resulted in 4% of terminations. They have terminated, the carrier have terminated 4% of their existing book, plus another 9% of increase in premium. Overall, the GWP from that book, the growth return premium, grew by 1.1%. And their expected loss threshold is just the second year. So we need to wait uh, about five years to see the actual loss threshold for that uh, uh, accidental year. But um, the, their expected improvement in loss ratios is by nine percentage points. So you have 1.1 more GWP while reducing your losses by a whole nine percentage point on that product, which is obviously a huge success. So this is number one, integration-wise, it's super, super simple. Nowadays, it's already integrated through an API in an automatic manner, but at the beginning of the process, they've exported their existing book and we've inputted it 
on our platform and then exported it from our platform and imported it into their platform. So it's it's a very old way to integrate, but it worked. And they saw mm -hmm. the lift from the uh, very first moment uh, they used uh, the platform. So this is obviously on the loss ratios. The, the biggest improvement there is on the loss ratios. Another example is with the uh, efficiencies of underwriting, uh, manual underwriting and intake. And this is with the new Plus platform that we've launched uh, three months ago uh, at the InsurTech uh, Connect conference. There we're giving that workbench to manual underwriters to use to um, audit all of the submissions that are referred for manual underwriting. They work on their platform. They work on, on, on Duck Creek, on Guidewire, on, on Majesco, on Sapiens, on whatever platform they have, on Salesforce, some of them, whatever platform they have. We have integrated a Chrome extension to their browsers, which um, monitors their usage of the, that platform. And for every newly created business, newly created submission, it shows on that page that they work with a flag a green, yellow, red flag. They configure the, the rules for that. It's, it's all obviously 100% configurable. That flag allows them, if it's green, continue working, spend almost no time at validating the input, we've done it for you. If it's red, stop. We have validated that and we've found discrepancies which are important, which might make the entire submission non-eligible uh, to even get a quote. If it's yellow, you know, operate uh, with some, with some uh, uh, you know, uh, use your brain to decide uh, whether you want to uh, deep dive into that business or not. Then they just click on that flag and it goes to our platform. So a very seamless integration. But what we saw was that the overall time they've put on a submission went down from a net time of 45 minutes, net time. Obviously, the overall time was a bit more than that because they went to, to drink coffee and they did other um, activities while they're doing it. But net time dropped from 45 minutes to just five minutes of your underwriting team and amount of back and forth with the distribution, with the producers, went almost to nothing. Almost all questions they had were answered or you know you knew that you didn't need to answer those extra questions. You did have some back and forth, but almost nothing. So a dramatic improvement to the um, to the operation, to the efficiency, to the expense ratios. I think um, let's, as you were saying that, I was thinking I, I really want one of those for, for very, very different reasons. Um, <laughs> because we're, we're dealing with some AI technology at, at the moment. Uh, th those numbers are pretty staggering because I think anyone that works in our industry will know what significant shift that really is, particularly when you're talking about um you know loss ratios and gross premium and and the difference there but um i was kind of thinking as you were talking how we talked about this cultural shift and now there's a cultural shift towards kind of um you know people are kind of a bit more open to this now um is is it the important element there is that they're allowed to set their rules as far as i understand it so for example the kind of color-coded system. How important do you think that is a part of the process for getting people to kind of on board? It sounds like to me that's the gap that makes people engage with it or not. So initially I also thought that, but I, I was wrong. 
you can actually land at a carrier with your configuration, not with their configuration to start with. And it brings for manual underwriting, it brings lots of value, again, from, from the first moment. We are customizing and configuring our platform for every customer, but you can do it in the first quarter of the usage. You don't need to do it prior to the usage. And that's, that returns to the uh, return on investment graph I spoke about. You don't want that first step to be too big in the investment side till you see an, an ROI on that one. We are configuring that per customer. Just think about, let's, let's use bars, restaurants, and the outdoor seating uh, feature, right? One table at the entrance of the business, that's it, with an ash, uh, ashtray and two seats. Is it outdoor seating or not? We know what people are doing at that table. We know why it's there. It's very trivial, but is it considered as outdoor seating or not? A porch run by fans, shelter on top, the only entrance to that porch is from the indoors. Is it outdoor seating or not? So every underwriting team defines it differently, which is fine. They learn from their experience and they've decided to define it differently. So if we'd come to them and tell them, guys, we're predicting the outdoor seating feature inside, and that's our prediction and you can change it, it won't work for all teams. We have to enable them on each one of the insights we provide, the hundreds of insights we provide, the ability to customize it, to tell to the platform, look at those 20 businesses. I do consider them as outer setting. So do that modification and, and, and now you have a very personalized insight generation platform for their own needs. The next leap is with adding those additional risk factors to change the underwriting model, which is obviously very, very, very personalized. And uh, so, so think about, let, let's use uh, uh, um, latest open hours of a business. The, the, the latest open hour of the business, one of the most important features for bars, restaurants, and most of the public uh, uh, places, public accepting places, uh, to, de to define whether there is a risk or not. But think about a bar that's open till 2 a.m. and you have 30 people visiting it from let's say 11 uh, p.m. to 2 a.m. And another one similar in size, 300 people visit it at that time period. You have an exposure element to a feature, to a characteristics traditionally cares we're only using to decide on eligibility and not on the, uh, on the exposure, on the premium. So, Adding more elements to the model, even for such a simple example, obviously very, very, very personalized to each one of the carriers. And even if it wouldn't be that way, because we're building those additional risk factors on the historical claims data, we're not allowed to share that uh, those results with other carriers. So we are yeah, bringing the tech, bringing the platform, they're running it on our platform, but we can take those takeaways and and uh, deploy them at other uh, carriers. Each one uh, has to do its own work uh, on our platform to build that. So lots of customization is supported by the platform. One of the nice things with AI, it's all, it almost comes pre-built with the platform because of that AI is so powerful these days that you can just instruct mm -hmm. it to do so many things and define the exact nuances that you need in order to make it fit your organization perfectly. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that, that's, that's, that's the world we're starting to 
up front, I wrote something, I wrote something about this this morning, and I was just saying, like, data, we're moving away from a world where data is kind of unique, because it's, of course, everyone, every organization has unique data, that are particularly insurance underwriting data, etc. But the further we get down the line, the amount of data that's out there, um, technologies are allowing us to kind of become more even. So then it becomes about our interpretation, our personalization of what we do with that data. That's the, you know, it's been that way in, tra in trading for a long time and insurance is just kind of trending towards that pathway. So it's kind of very clear that, you know, a lot of this should be table stakes, you know, but then it's like, okay, what do we do from that point on? So that personalization thing is it's so important, but I think we've moved past. And as you rightly said, probably what, what, where I started this questioning or line of questioning was how much could be pre-built? Well, it sounds like a lot, because a lot of it is just kind of like you we've learned this along the way you're going to want this if you can but then having that you know where there's enough space for us to differentiate our product is uh is super important um i'm conscious of time but i really wanted to ask you this question because because you know you've been uh initial at wildpacks been developing its products three months ago you launched you know plus as a, 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 a new thing for you how do you stay ahead in this space? Because it's such a fast-evolving space. You you probably would have been one of the few true AI players in town, particularly using large language models. Now that's probably not the case. So how do you stay ahead and and, and what innovations can, have we got in store um, for Blank in the future? So there are many um, axes that you need to stay ahead of the curve um, following them. One is the te technology aspect. You need to be able to embrace modern uh, models the second they are there. We've, for example, used internally uh, a GPT 3.5 model that we've trained and deployed on April 2022. So I think like uh, way uh, before uh, the uh, chat GPT um, 3.5 was released about a, a year ago. And um, we've stopped using it once we saw that ChatGPT, actually GPT, the API uh, um, uh, accessible model, uh, is better than our own model. We've trained it. We spent a lot of money on training it. It's served us well uh, um, for about a year. And then we stopped using it and went to use uh, GPT because it's better. Now we use Bard as well. We were the first one in Israel to use Bard. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, Google's model, it's called Palm, and the, the product is called Bard, the model behind it, it's called Palm. Uh, we're the first one to, to use it. So always make sure that you embrace uh, the latest technology and make sure that your technology stack supports such a process. Don't try to hold on to your existing technology because the pace technology runs so much faster than what you can uh, develop by yourself. So always embrace new technologies and make sure that you add your edge on top of it to make sure that you support solving the market's pain points with that uh, new technology as a, as a building block. The second is learn the market. The market is changing. The insurance market is changing. I think it's it, the fastest space it had been uh, in, in, the, you know, in the past century. You have so much innovation there from uh, micro insurance and and uh, temporal insurance and uh, um, parametric insurance and and what products are changing and companies are changing businesses are changing uh, brick and mortars versus um, um, just uh, digital 
um, um, operations, etc. You you need to learn how your market, the insurance market, is changing according to the way the world changes, and always have that problem-solving mentality. So even after we've built the first product and it became very mature one and very successful one, we knew that we want to keep on innovating. We want to go to new markets. Now we're doing it, for example, with the distribution markets. We've opened a new market. Now we're setting up technology to producers, to agents, to brokers, to customer success representatives in agencies, to principal owners who are now able to optimize the risk at each one of their appointments to make sure that they do get that uh, revenue sharing at the end of the year. All of that is supported by our tech, but obviously you need to build the product for that. So you want your product team to always keep on innovating. And I think that the, the best rule of thumb is that you'll have one product that you're in the 10 to 100, one product that in the one to 10, and one product that you're in the zero to one and always keep that uh, momentum of innovation in your company. Lovely, I love that. Yeah, it's a great way to think about it. I, I think sometimes people try and be, not try and be, but I think certainly a lot of the kind of insurance techs that I don't think evolved with the business, the the industry was sort of not not probably paying enough respect to the the industry and how dynamic it is on its own. Because despite the kind of slow embracement of technology, insurance has never been slow to embrace new risks and new risk challenges and underwrite net new risk classes. So it's always been it's always been at its core innovative, and I think there was certainly kind of a lack of appreciation of that. But if you don't appreciate that, you don't know what's the evolution of your product that serves that industry. Really. So yeah, that's a great that's a great way to kind of put it, uh, particularly at the product development stages. Um, Ella, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I, I, I knew this was going to be a fun conversation, and, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad, glad we managed to get this somewhere over the line. So thank you very much for being a guest on the Leadership Insurance Podcast. Thank you, Alex, and good luck with the uh, rest of your interviews. <laughs> Thank you very much. Take care.